Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us today on the Three Martini Lunch. Grab your stool. We've got three good martinis for you today. And an extra topic that absolutely has to be addressed. But uh, let's start with uh, good martini uh, number one. And it is a double-barreled first good martini. So really, we got like four good martinis today. But anyway, uh, it's double-barreled because it all involves polling. First one coming from a Politico morning consult poll of registered voters. That's taking a look at... Jim, what I would call one of the media's worst smear jobs in terms of what's actually in the bill, and that's the uh, the Florida bill on um, curriculum for K through three, and the uh, the legislation that uh, suggests you really shouldn't be doing sex at that early, and you don't need to get into lots of discussions about gender identity and and uh, you know sexual orientation at that point either. Uh, it's passed the legislature, I. Th- think DeSantis is certainly going to sign it if he hasn't signed it already. Uh, And there had been some suggestion that Americans were deeply, deeply opposed to this. No. Uh, Politico Morning Consult showing that by a 51 to 35 percent margin, people support uh, a level of restricting discussions of sexual orientation and gender identity before the fourth grade. An even slightly higher percentage, 52 to 37, support limiting such discussions at and above that level to age-appropriate discussions. And it's not just a Republican phenomenon either. Uh, This is from Politico. In both instances, support was considerably higher among Republican registered voters, but there was also backing from independent voters. 70% of GOP voters uh, supported banning the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity in lower grades compared to 51% of Democrats who opposed the legislation. But the poll found that 46% of independent voters supported the ban compared to 35% who opposed it. I'm not sure ban's even the right word there. Meanwhile, Joe Biden not getting a free pass at all from the American people on his explanation that everything's Putin's fault. Uh, This is the Daily Caller. As the president currently enjoys an approval rating in the low 40s, it's clear nearly everyone believes he shares some of the blame for the pain at the pump. In an ABC News poll conducted over the weekend, a whopping 70% of Americans disapprove of the president's handling of massive gas prices. Meanwhile, American families are now spending around 6% of their entire income on gasoline alone. In a CBS poll from just last week, 63% of Americans want the president to increase oil and gas production within the United States, including a majority of Republicans, independents, and Democrats. In contrast, only a third want to see Biden continue to beg for more oil from the Middle East or South America. So, Jim, when you listen to Twitter, you think you might know how America feels. When you actually talk to Americans, you get a very different story. Yeah, but I think the first thing that jumps out at me uh, discussing the Florida law, the so-called don't say gay bill, which is just straight up Democratic messaging, by the way. It's not what the bill is called. And yet that has become the one that, you know, big news agencies use as for it. Greg, in the ABC poll, the way it was characterized is legislation that would prohibit classroom lessons about sexual orientation or gender identity in elementary school. It's not what the legislation says. Legislation talks in kindergarten through third grade. My kids will go to elementary school until sixth grade. Uh, There are some that stop at fifth. I went until seventh grade and 
uh, way back in Metuchen, they had a system where at eighth grade you went up to the high school. But the idea is that your idea of what elementary school is, and I think every parent would agree, what's appropriate to teach your kid changes as they get more mature. You know, you, what, the kinds of stuff you're okay with having in the curriculum in, any, you know, let's say fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, is going to be different from what you're okay with kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and third grade. And I think most people's objection to what is being taught in these schools is not that we shouldn't teach these kids this stuff ever, anybody, and nobody should know about it. It is that this is not appropriate for kids this age. This is an attempt to uh, shape their thinking on these subjects in a way that most parents simply oppose. And that these subjects, at least at this stage of their lives, if they're going to be addressed, are best addressed at home with the parents. Very straight up. And I think ABC is doing it both the, the entire you know world a disservice by not making this clear in its polling question. Because there are probably a whole bunch of people who say, hey, I'd be okay with it at sixth graders, but I'm not okay with it for kids. I think in fact, very few people would say, yes, I'm totally okay teaching that stuff about kindergarten through uh, uh, first grade. It's unsurprisingly, once you put that in the question, and I went and I checked it up, Morning Consult does get a very different result than the ABC News poll does. In terms of Biden and energy, again, I just kind of feel like this is one that, you know, Biden is peeling off the Band-Aid very, very slowly. There's go at some point the political pressure is going to become untenable, particularly in a midterm election year. He's going to get more and more Democrats saying that it is absolutely necessary to start developing our own natural resources and, and developing our own oil and gas. Yes, it won't come on the line immediately, but this will help hold down prices in the future. You never know what's going to happen in the future. You never know if there's going to be some other conflict. The Middle East could have a conflict. There could be other factors that cause oil prices to go up. Therefore, it makes a lot of sense to develop what you have. And oh, by the way, thanks to fracking, we can do it with a much smaller footprint. Clean, uh, you know, natural gas can be much cleaner these days. There are all kinds of steps we can take to make them more environmentally friendly. If the, uh, you know, environmentalists would simply play ball with us and, you know, give a little bit of ground here. Uh, I think Biden is going to have to surrender. But, you know, perhaps you could say, you know, better for Republicans. He's going to be dragged, kicking and screaming to do this in order to maximize the political pain the Democrats end up feeling because of it. Yeah, I feel like the environmentalists are one of those constituencies, kind of like the um, the abortion issue, where they do not allow much wiggle room. I think you're right that Biden's going to have to move in that direction. If he can read a poll or his staff can, uh, you know, he's not going to take a big hit for it, obviously, if a majority of Democrats want greater domestic energy exploration and production. But uh, the donor base... They don't love that. They're not gonna. They're not gonna forgive that anytime soon. So uh, they're some of the loudest and the wealthiest people that that give to the Democratic Party. So uh, he's gonna face a lot of pressure, even though it's obviously the right thing to do. All right. Well, obviously, another right thing to do is to be prepared, whether you spend a lot of time in the outdoors or you just want to have gear on hand that helps you in a survival situation. How are you going to find your new favorite piece of outdoor gear? Well, if you sign up for a battle box, you don't have to worry about that because it finds you. Oh, no, this is a truly cool sponsor for our podcast. BattleBox is your go-to monthly subscription for hand-picked outdoor survival and everyday carry gear. Getting the best gear for yourself not only takes time, but it can be incredibly expensive. Trust me, my son is into this stuff and he, you know, none of this stuff is cheap. That is why BattleBox brings you name brand, high quality products every month at half the price they would cost on their own. You just pick the box that works for you and get tested and vetted products that you can trust that are selected by an expert team of outdoor professionals from an Aquapod emergency water kit to an atomic bear survival bivy. You have to worry about those atomic bears. (laughs) Delivered right to your doorstep each month. 
Battlebox has shipped more than 1 million boxes since 2015 and has been featured everywhere from the New York Times to Survivor's Edge. Find out why outdoor enthusiasts call Battlebox the best gear I never knew I wanted. Yeah, Jim and I have both received the Battlebox. The quality of the gear is amazing. The ability to filter your own water on the spot, that's huge because if you drink stream water, that much I do know from my scouting days, uh, that can do a number on your digestive system. Uh, also, it's got a heater in there, at least the one I got, uh, as well as a, a knife and a metal sheath. Very cool gear, whether you spend a lot of time in the woods or you just uh, want these things to have on hand at your home. Fantastic. So sign up, receive, survive. What are you waiting for? Don't miss another Battle Box mission. And from now until March 31st, get a free mystery box worth more than $115 with any new subscription at trybattlebox.com slash martini. That's a free mystery box worth at least $115 right now at trybattlebox.com slash martini. Let's spell that because they leave out the E. It's T-R-Y-B-A-T-T-L-B-O-X dot com slash martini. Trybattlebox.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our second good martini now. And they often say that uh, the states and local governments are the laboratories for democracy. And sometimes you just get a really great common sense idea. And when you hear it, you're thinking, why was this ever the policy in the first place, and why haven't we changed this a long time ago? So Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of Maryland, uh, getting close to the end now of his second term, uh, and he has decided that it's nonsensical now to mandate four-year college degrees for most positions inside the Maryland state government. Um, he says it's time to open these jobs up to anyone, and if they've got experience that's relevant to the job and gives them uh, a leg up and proves they can do the job, why shouldn't they be able to apply? He says the state of Maryland employs more than 38,000 individuals, and the Department of Budget and Management uh, estimates that more than half of those jobs can substitute relevant experience, training, and or community college education for a four-year degree. There are more than 300 currently open state government jobs that no longer require a four-year degree, all of which are now listed, and uh, he's uh, making it uh, available uh, to people 25 years and older. So, Jim, obviously there are some jobs, you know, especially in the, the legal department and, and maybe some others, where you do need a degree. But in a lot of these areas, if you've been able to gather experience and be qualified to do the work, why not? You know, uh, Greg, I heard from some uh, other bloggers who cover Maryland politics a bit more this morning, and they said the reaction from their Democratic or liberal counterparts was just thermonuclear. Uh, just, just they were furious about this. They're outraged. Like, oh, my, how can Hogan do this? Ugh. And uh, one of these bloggers observed, think about the, you know, look at the state of Maryland. Think of the, the demographics of the kinds of people who either have these jobs or who would be qualified to take these jobs in the near future and look at the thing of the kind of people in the state of Maryland who would not previously be qualified for these jobs and who would be qualified for these jobs now. One demographic is very likely to live in the relatively wealthy and relatively white suburbs of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. And another one of these demographics is likely to be in the city of Baltimore and probably more likely to be African-American, more likely to be poor, more likely to be underprivileged and more likely to have much greater economic opportunities from working for a state government in one capacity for another. So but that's one of the many ironies of this. 
Um, it, you want really qualified people. I think everyone would agree that college education has gotten phenomenally expensive. And that cost probably keeps a lot of people who are perfectly capable of doing the coursework and getting their degrees from getting them. Well, you know, if the point of getting a four-year degree is to get you qualified for a, you know, let's say, white-collar job, so to speak, working in an office somewhere, but you don't actually need that degree, then why not have them actually, you know, at, at minimum, give them the opportunity to apply, get them in the door, get them into the interview process, get them into a process where they have a chance at getting some of these jobs, getting a state job and being happy and productive in them. So uh, good job, Larry Hogan. This is, you know, the sort of uh, reform you hope to see lots of other states adopt. We'll see how it goes. And yes, I do think that there is a bit of a class factor in the people who are tearing their hair out about this change. So just to clarify, Jim, are they mad at the idea or are they just mad that a Republican came up with it? Oh, definitely mad at the idea. Definitely. We don't want those kind of people in our state office. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Great. No, that's not a direct quote, but that was that was the gist this blogger was reporting. Well, as the Maryland Democrats have been doing for almost eight years now in their best Colonel Clink voice, Hogan! <laughs> really dating myself with that one but uh, anyway great show uh, and good move by Larry Hogan so uh, liberals in Maryland if there are certain people you think are not worthy of jobs uh, maybe you need uh, an attitude adjustment or maybe you just need a good night's sleep and that's where my pillow can come in great pillows great sheets uh, great towels uh, for, when, for when you step out of the shower, great slippers. And right now, the fantastic deal is focused on the towels. Right now, MyPillow is offering the six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 a set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, some other towels may feel good, but they don't absorb very well, or maybe they absorb, but they don't feel good. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. There's none of that lotion-y feel. Now, every MyPillow six-piece towel set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. I love the towels. Just used them this morning, the best towel set that I have. And for a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for just $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for just $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, a momentous event yesterday on the floor of the United States Senate. Kind of odd circumstances considering almost none of the senators were there, but there were enough to get this done. Kirsten Sinema uh, from Arizona, the Democrat, the presiding officer, Marco Rubio with this motion on the floor. I ask unanimous consent that the Rubio substitute amendment at the desk be considered and agreed to. The bill as amended be considered read a third time and passed and that the motions to reconsider be considered made and laid upon the table. Is there objection? Without objection, so ordered. Thank you, Madam President. And uh, yes. that yes from Kirsten Cinema <laughs> was because that legislation, since nobody objected, uh, passes that would make daylight saving time permanent. 
meaning that uh, I believe starting next year, if it passes, uh, once you flip your clocks in March, you'll never flip them again. That time would be made permanent. Uh, it still has to be passed in the House of Representatives. Uh, the fun part, though, Jim, is that as soon as this passed, uh, plenty of people who never want to change their clocks again are saying, oh, great idea, but it, it actually should have been standard time, so it's not so dark in the morning in the winter. And so, as I tweeted out yesterday, this could be the most fun debate since less filling tastes great. <laughs> but remember when debates were fun, right? A bunch <laughs> of celebrities arguing about two features of, of light beer. Yes. Um, it's fascinating to see that this has been, uh, people have complained about it for a while, and then all of a sudden, this momentum for this bill, boom, just all of a sudden, it's there. Like, you know, it's, we're, we're on the verge of doing this. Um, I, I, it's interesting. I think my colleague Dan McLaughlin made the argument that actually um, daylight savings time is now much less of an issue twice a year because our phones and our computers and our tablets, a whole bunch of electronic devices now update themselves and we don't need to worry about it. Uh, now it's just our wristwatches and I don't know about yours, my car. Uh, not only does it need to be done manually, I have to go in and do it, I have to press buttons, it's a very complicated system, and I almost inevitably end up adding an hour when I need to lose an hour, <laughs> or losing an hour when I need to add an hour, so I end up with a clock that is two hours wrong instead of being off by one hour. Um, I know this, we did this in 1974, and people said it didn't work out very well, and some kids got hit by cars because it was dark in the morning. All right, look, if we try it and this is bad, we you know then we can change back, but it does seem like um, the argument behind it and the theory behind it has never made that much sense. I, I do know that if you pick which, whichever one you picked, if you stuck to it, then it means sunrise and sunset would only change by about a minute each day. And our body's clocks and our body rhythms would get used to it. OK, fine. We would kind of, you know, we would just kind of adjust to it naturally and normally. Um, now, as a result of it, twice a year, we get this sudden, you know, it's always nice when you get that fall back because nobody complains about. It. Everybody likes that extra hour of sleep. But it's spring forward that always aggravates us where it's like, oh, this weekend, oh, let me lose an extra hour of sleep. And it always makes that Sunday very difficult. By the way, my understanding is, or the legend is, according to Sam Donaldson, George Will used to show up either an hour late or an hour early every time they had to change the clocks uh, when they taped this week with uh, on ABC News. So maybe he's finally updated and it's, it's not an issue. But apparently, talk about people who always have that uh, that frustration, always need to forget to update their alarms and stuff like that. I'd be perfectly happy with either one of these. Just pick one. I don't understand the point of it. Greg, the only way this really affected me is that when I got up to write the morning jolt on Monday morning, the sky was dark, and that was frustrating. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it, you know, Arizona, is which Kirsten Cinema is from, uh, they do not change the clocks. They are on standard time, which is the time we just left to join daylight saving time. And I think one of the reasons is because it will get light earlier in the morning that way. One of our fellow Ricochet podcasters, uh, Scott Bertram, yesterday uh, pointing out that that uh, if we had daylight saving time year-round, on December 21st, Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is kind of on the western edge of the eastern time zone, would have seen a sunrise at 9.11 a.m., which is a little, right, that's pretty late. little that's late. pretty late, granted. A little late for a sunrise. And so, But on the flip side, Jim, I grew up in the upper peninsula of Michigan, where the winters, you don't get a lot of light, and the summers, you do. And so if you go to uh, standard time, then you lose one of those hours in the endless summer nights. And so I can see it either way. I don't live up there now, but uh, I guess if you're going to do it, go. I would probably go to standard just for the sake of not being pitch black every time you, you go to work throughout the winter or go to school. But uh, in the end, I wonder if some folks are going to wish 
it was back the way it currently is. I don't know that because those two Sundays are really rough on uh, families, especially with little kids. And I've heard pet owners say the same thing about their pets. But we'll see. We'll see what the house does um, but uh, or if they even do anything at all. But uh, anyway, Kirsten Sinema was very excited. Marco Rubio is very excited. And he teamed up with Ed Markey. How many times do you figure Marco Rubio and Ed Markey team up on anything? Yeah, that's got you know. It's always nice when you find these unusual bipartisan agreements. We'll see if the House adopts this. We'll see if Biden signs. By the way, would it be like the perfect cherry on top that Biden vetoes it, and <laughs> it turns into like just one more liability before before the midterm elections? Uh, no, because he'll think it's Delaware standard time, and he'll think that's a great idea. <laughs> The sun is going to come up when it wants to come up. The sun is going to go down. What you do with your clocks is up to you. (laughs) You get the same amount of daylight. It doesn't. Yeah, exactly. There's no actual savings of daylight. It's the same amount of daylight. (laughs) You're just moving your clocks. That's all you're doing. Oh, it's when you want to be awake. That's pretty much it. But uh, speaking of Joe Biden, yesterday he was at a White House event. I'm not even sure for what, honestly. But uh, he was on stage for 14 minutes. And let's just say... He made news for all the wrong reasons. First of all, he was trying to tell everyone that Doug Emhoff, Kamala Harris's husband, has contracted COVID. And of course, Kamala Harris is the first female vice president, which makes Doug Emhoff the first second gentleman. But here is how it came out yesterday at the White House. But there's been a little change in the arrangement of who's on the stage because of the first lady's husband uh, contracting COVID. But uh, look at this room and what you see. Pardon? That's right. She's fine. It's me. That's not together. The second lady, the first gentleman. How about that? <laughs> the first, anyway. the first lady's husband. That would be him. Does not have COVID. It's, then he said the second lady, and then it was the first gentleman. Uh, neither of which exist. So Jim, that's uh, one thing. And then also there was Jennifer Granholm, the Energy Secretary, former Governor of Michigan, and Biden's trying to give her a compliment by saying that she could have been a president if she hadn't been born in Canada, because you have to be born in America, of course, to become president. And this is how it all came out. The former Governor Jennifer Granholm, the Energy Department. often kid her and I wasn't kidding early on when I was seeking the nomination had she been born in America she'd be standing here and I'd be sitting there (laughs) she was the former governor of the state of uh, Michigan Michigan wrong she was a former state she she was a governor she was the former governor of Michigan I think that might have been Jennifer Grant I'm trying to help him out there Jim I think my favorite part in that exchange is uh, I always kid her but I wasn't kidding uh, which is interesting. Now, people will chalk this up to us making fun of a stutter. There's no stuttering involved here. Yeah. Uh, this is a situation uh, where the guy's blanking, and it's on one level it's kind of funny. On another level, the guy's the commander-in-chief of the U.S. military uh, and the chief executive of this country, and he's not able to get through a simple ceremony. Greg, I think we need name tags. <laughs> I think we need really big, large print name tags that everyone in the White House will wear around their neck all the time. So the president can turn and then say, and maybe like it is large, maybe like a cue card or something, just a couple of basic facts about them. I was indeed governor. It was indeed Michigan. 
no, I could not be president, stuff like that. Uh, I, you know, like, this is kind of funny and silly. We've all had times where we've kind of mixed it up. And I think I, there's a part of me that doesn't love the term second husband. What was the second gentleman is what we're calling? <laughs> yes, um, yes. Like, you know, cause, you know, I mean, I guess he wouldn't want to call him the, the second husband uh, because he is her first. <laughs> um, but this, this kind of this thing of, you know, look. You, I, I don't understand why she, he couldn't come out and say, "Yo, the vice president's husband has, you know, contracted COVID." Oh, by the way, it is March. This was set on March fifteenth, but we're at the Ides of March. Uh, but all in all, it's not a big deal if someone gets COVID nineteen. He's fully vaccinated. He's under the weather. He should recover. Uh, you know, I had it in, in the beginning of February. Lots of people are going to get it. They're going to be fine. It isn't necessarily blaring red neon sign news if somebody contracts COVID nineteen anymore, and maybe we don't need to do it. Um, and it sounds like he's doing fine, and, and we're glad to hear that. Um, yeah, no, I'm much more worried about the president's memory than um, Emhoff having COVID-19. No, absolutely right. There's going to be some massive name tags, uh, Jim, for people to have to wear. <laughs> wear print, bigger names. print. Yeah. Massive, massive lanyards. And for uh, conservatives in Michigan, boy, they would love to forget that Jennifer Granholm had been governor of Michigan. That was a, <laughs> that was a rough eight years. So uh, if only if only we could forget. Nonetheless, the beat goes on. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch if you don't already, and tell a friend about us as well. We'd love to have them listening to us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, get us on your home devices as well. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. As long as the government's listening and everything else you're doing, you might as well play our podcast. And follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday and please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Terrorism expert John Rosamondo joins me to explain how a group started by East German communists is manipulating politics in the U.S. right now. I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, John and I will discuss how far leftists are pushing the Green New Deal and trying to create energy policies favorable to Vladimir Putin and how America can push back. Join me, follow The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.